Welcome to Ask Akar Anything, supported by Flow.in. That's F-L-O-H dot I-N. I'm Akar, and I'm here to answer all your interesting questions. You can send them in to aaa at audiomatic dot I-N, or you can connect to us through our website, audiomatic dot in, or through Facebook and Twitter. Our first question is from Aditya Vagis from Kochi. He asks, there seems to be very little engagement with the Dalit, tribal and backward caste cultures, such as their theatre, music and art in Bollywood and Hindi television. Why do you think this is? It is because we are a hierarchical society, Aditya. We have good and bad castes. The fact that we use phrases like backward castes indicate that very clearly. I think if you were to look at names in popular entertainment, I did a piece a few months ago and I uh, analyzed the last names of families in the Sazbao serials, the ones that are playing now. And what I found was, to nobody's surprise, that they were dominated by North Indian mercantile names from the Khatri and Amaroda castes of uh, Punjabi's names like Sethi and so on. There was a serial called Shastri Sisters indicating a Brahmin name. That serial, by the way, which I watched and an episode of stressed uh, vegetarianism through its uh, purity. So I think that we ought not to be surprised by the idea that there are certain communities and certain castes that are seen as being aspirational for the rest of us. And this process in sociology is called Sanskritization. The obverse of it is also true, which is that some castes are seen as not worthy of uh, emulation. And will this change? I don't think so. I think we will continue to find that in our popular entertainment, in theatre, in cinema, on TV, we will want to be like certain groups, however small they may be, and these are very small groups, and not like others. Hi, Akar. This is Kenneth from Bombay. If you were casting a movie about last year's election, which actors would you have played? Modi and Amit Shah, Rahul and Sonia, and K. Jriwal. Mr. Modi, I would have Paresh Rawal, very pronounced Gujarati accent, shortish man, squat, quite wily. And I would say that's true of both men. I know Paresh Rawal quite well. He's a friend of the family. He used to, as a youth, take long cab rides in Bombay and not pay the cab fare. He would run off telling the cab driver he would be back and never to return. He would be perfect for playing Mr. Modi. Amit Shah, Saurabh Shukla, purely from the aspect of his rotundity. Rahul Gandhi is far too boring to be played convincingly by anybody other than a very good actor. I don't know, Amir Khan maybe. Sonia Gandhi would be tough. I think you would need somebody who is aged and good looking and has maintained her body, which is very rare to find in India. We don't have women in their 60s who look like her. You can see the discipline that she has at the table purely from the way that she is physically not very different from the photographs I've seen of her from the late 60s when she married. Probably wears the same saris in the same way. Arvind Kejriwal has a fairly typical North Indian bhaiya type, as we say in Bombay, skin and body. Perhaps somebody like Nawazuddin Siddiqui, I'm not sure. But he has a lot more color, has a lot more to offer as a character. And I think a good actor such as Siddiqui would do a good job. People are always complaining that there aren't enough single men and women around. Flow.in is a terrific platform that is connecting singles in real life. And here is one of their users sharing his experience. I am Amod Dani. I am currently with Publicis Ambiences and Advertising Agency. 
it's kind of tough right i mean today's life if you look at how busy people are everyone's like running around it's a rat race 9 to 5 is out and i'm sure it's a story for most single people in the city so where do you get the opportunity to engage with somebody who's out of your field who's out of your circle and you would want to speak to them know them better interact with these kind of people so the possibilities of that happening is kind of slim if you were to explain flow to somebody you would first begin to explain from you know what online dating is this is not that flow was like one of the first non dating platform what really encouraged me about flow was the possibility of you know meeting people from you know of an absolutely different social sphere you tend to meet individuals only from within your circle now the circles are open your your universe is suddenly expanded and you're kind of like thinking okay wow when i'm meeting a banker i'm meeting a businesswoman you know i'm 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 meeting uh, you know an artist i met a singer it's it's a fantastic mix i met a chef and that suddenly changes your perspective about relationships about how uh, the chemistry would work it's it's more like you know trying to find someone out there who is a, you could you could find as a compatible partner or a friend i don't know love can happen or not happen that's that's something that that you can leave it up to the two individuals that eventually it'll come through or not i think flow has given given every social gathering a meaning so you're you're meeting with a purpose of not just socially interacting you're meeting with the purpose of engaging over some kind of an experience I'm not saying that flow is for people who want to get married but I think flow is for people who want to meet interesting people and uh, want to engage with them and want to connect with individuals whether it leads to marriage that's great if it does flow.in that's f l o h .in connecting singles in real life Hi Aga this is Bhavika from New Delhi my question is this Do you think there is a bias against manual labor in Indian society given that a skilled electrician can earn as much or even higher than an entry level IT engineer do you think it will have an impact on the make in india campaign and how can we tackle this I think there is a bias I don't think the example you've given quite demonstrates that I think it's supply and demand in the case of the trades carpentry plumbing being an electrician these are not things that middle class families aspire towards these are not things that we train our children to becoming having said that these are very highly paid tradesmen in the west so you would find for instance in the us or in europe to have your bathroom fixed or to have furniture made or to have your wiring done you would have to pay a lot of money and per hour to somebody who was skilled in india you would have to pay a contractor who would have sort of faceless people working for him or her and i don't think that the fact that we pay somebody more to fix our wiring at home on an hourly rate and i don't even think it's that much i think i paid about 250 rupees to get some wiring done a couple of weeks ago compared to what an entry level it person gets paid we have a culture where the highest caste brahmins didn't need to work at all all they needed to do was some puja part some some ritual and the rest of society was supposed to support them and this was the case for centuries so the idea of working with your hands i don't think is something that either appeals to us at the level of society certainly there is no precedent for it in our culture there is no eulogizing there is no glorifying somebody who works with their hands i think it's looked down upon one sidebar i would add here is that those communities that can do it competently their product is really valued and when i was growing up in bombay in the 70s and 80s you often saw this ad which said parsi owned for a second hand car and what that indicated those two words indicated was that somebody had physically themselves kept their car in good shape it's not something the rest of us can do 
Hi Akar, this is Akshay from Bangalore. I wanted to know what you make of the Indian English accent. Have we reached a suitable equilibrium, a fairly uniform accent drawing from different quirks across the urban, rural and geographic divide? Or is the pot still simmering and it's still evolving? I think we have. We have reached a sort of uniformly spoken English which you and I are speaking right now. And most people in their 20s wouldn't have the kind of spread that I heard 20 years ago when I was in my mid-twenties, I think that it's becoming quite uniform. One reason is that the access to the spoken word is open today because of the net, because of YouTube, more films, television, things like that. But the uniformity it's going towards, I think, is an Indian-South Asian type uniformity where we don't stress on certain sounds, on certain consonants. P, T, K, B is how the West says it. We tend to say king, they say king. And I don't think that will change. So there will be an Indian-ness to the way that we speak. And unless we change the dynamic of our regional language, which we shouldn't and we won't, our English will always remain accented. I'm just back from China. They can't speak English at all. And I think that it's because of the variance that they have, how different Chinese is from the sounds of uh, Europe. But there are certain Southeast Asian cultures, for instance, the Filipinos, whose spoken language is far closer to the way that it is spoken in the West than is ours. Last week, we had Ask Akar Anything, the contest, and we had response from Twitter and Facebook followers where you sent in your questions. The selected questions won automatic t-shirts, and here are some of the winning questions. Hi, Akar. This is Sukhada from Mumbai, and I wanted to ask you, is there a humanely possible way the Aam Aadmi Party can win the upcoming municipal elections in Mumbai? No, there isn't. I think the demographics show that if you look at the data, about 40% of the vote in Bombay comes into the two Marathi chauvinistic parties to the two Thakre brothers, Uddhav and Raj. And I think that corresponds also to the Marathi population of the city. The Gujaratis who are in the low double digits have turned entirely BJP. I don't think that vote is actually available to the Ahmadmi Party. What remains about 35-40% of the vote is fought over between the BJP and the Congress, particularly the North Indians of North and Northwest Bombay. I don't think the Ahmadmi Party has social traction in that city. The other aspect is that its primary issues, women's safety and corruption, to a large extent do not apply in Bombay or do not apply to the extent that they do in Delhi. I think that you would not have the kind of conversations about female safety in Western India and in Bombay, particularly as you do in Delhi. I recognize that this is not always the case and there are many nasty things that happen to women everywhere in South Asia, including in Bombay. But as a narrative, I don't think it is as dominant as it is in Delhi. What does the Ahmadmi Party need to do to develop itself in Bombay? I think it needs to be more like the BJP was in the 2014 elections. It needs to be able to promise not the bottom and the middle half of the population. It needs to aim for the middle and the top half of the population. In Bombay, nobody wants to be poor. People are in that city suffering great hardship in terms of the places that they live and stay and commute because they want to make it. And they want to make it soon. I think the sort of party that responds to those aspirations are the ones that will do well in Bombay. Can it be done by the Ahmadmi Party? I don't think so. Nikhil sends this in. Tell us a few books that every Indian should read to know about the real history of India. I would recommend only one book. It is in four volumes, Fall of the Mughal Empire, Jadunath Sarkar. 
it looks at a century starting i think 1715 or thereabouts ending in 1803 when the british took over delhi i read this book a few years ago it's about 1500 rupees to buy i think it's orient blackman i was stunned at how precisely it captured both the political narrative of india as you might find it today completely opportunistic without any principle with great human failing and the way it captured society in india i don't think that you need to go too far to be able to see why we are the way we are and how we are the way we are other than to read this book it's written in very simple language many of the people that it writes about i had not read of or heard of before i went through this volume but it helped me frame the way that i looked at history in india it starts more or less with the reign of this emperor called mohammad shah rangila and it ends as i said with fall of delhi which we tend to ascribe to 1857 but actually it fell 50 years before that i think all other books and there are many other books there is sunil khilnani there might be ram guha and so on will tend to be a chronological history i think if you're looking to understand why this country is the way it is why we are the way we are you shouldn't look too far than this work sir jadunath sarkar fall of the mogal empire for volumes Hi Akar this is Manish from Mumbai my question is have you ever thought of immigrating to another country which one and why and uh, why didn't you Manish I've never thought of moving from India as a writer I find this a very fascinating place I think I'm fortunate to be in a place that has so much to offer somebody who cares to observe most writers would kill to be able to write about a place like this also I think when you're raised in a particular environment you tend to be very close to it purely in cultural terms so the food that I like and I eat the most often tends to be desi khana I like being around here I might whine about the chaos i might complain about it incessantly but this is home i've never thought of moving anywhere else last question this week from sahil bhalla is there any way the bcci can be cleaned up like fifa by 2020 no fifa isn't cleaned up either i think both of them have the same problem which is that they are democracies and let me explain what i mean by that when you have a mix of high income middle income low income groupings as you do in fifa and you do in the bcci you will have a divergence of what people want i think some countries like zimbabwe or for instance bahrain would want to have a tournament in their country bureaucrats from that space would want this so that they can make money out of it from contracts fifa is not going to be be cleaned up very soon i don't think it can be done by a change in leadership and i think something similar obtains in the case of the bcci the reason why so many politicians including the biggest ones jetly modi shukla whoever else you might care to name want to be on the bcci is that it is in economic terms extremely powerful and it is powerful and outside the purview of both the government and courts because it is an independent democratically elected body of uh, cricket associations it has links neither to the government in that sense and because it is so wealthy it also controls the icc by default i don't think it's going to be easy to clean up the bcci purely through process some might think that it can be cleaned up through some sort of messianic figure somebody really clean like gandhi or like modi coming in and doing their magic i don't think that's going to happen i think that bcci and fifa will remain as the way they are at the moment extremely corrupt extremely powerful into 2020 and beyond 
Thank you for listening. Don't forget to send your questions to me at aaa at audiomatic.in and do listen to our other interesting podcasts all available at www.audiomatic.in. Ask Akar Anything is supported by Flow.in. That's F-L-O-H dot I-N. Connecting singles in real life. Audiomatic. You can find us at audiomatic.in or look for our shows on SoundCloud, iTunes and Stitcher.